Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special episode of the Drum Network podcast, lining up with our wider deep dive into sports and sports marketing. We have so much to talk about in this episode, ranging from sponsorships to new opportunities for marketing within the metaverse for sports brands. And so without further ado, I'm going to get straight into it and ask my guests to introduce themselves. Yes. Good morning. Um, I'm Anne Wool. I am president here at Translation. We're a creative uh, advertising marketing agency based in Dumbo, Brooklyn, New York City. Um, I've been working in the sports industry now for many, many, it seems like uh, 50 decades, but it's probably not quite <laughs> that many. And I've seen, um, you know, through Olympic sponsorships and Super Bowl sponsorships and World Cup sponsorships and all manner of, of, of different types of sponsorships, how the sports uh, landscape has evolved. Our clients are very involved in sports. We are the agency of record for the NBA, among other things. So Amazing. we watch very closely and uh, it's exciting landscape to be involved in. Oh, God, absolutely. Yeah, there's just so much going on. Uh, Roger, same question. Who are you and what do you do? Hi there, I'm Roger Barr. I'm Chief Digital Officer here at iCrossing. Um, we are owned, actually, by uh, Hearst Magazines. So I get to work out of uh, Leicester Square um, in the house of Hearst. Um, you may know that Hearst owns uh, Runners World, uh, Men and Women's Health. I think my interest and involvement in sport is a natural one. I've been a coach, um, an Ironman triathlete, uh, multiple marathons. I've competed at um, the Hawaii Ironman in Kona. And um, when I first started um, my agency about 12 years ago, uh, we naturally gravitated towards um, fitness and sports brands, um, more recently working with people like Speedo. Um, and one of our biggest clients is Everyone Active, who have 200 uh, leisure centers in the UK. So we've been involved in a probably an eight-year relationship mm. with them, helping them on their digital transformation journey and how you know, that's really evolved over the last sort of eight years. Very nice. Although I will be editing out the um, triathlete stuff just because that's going to make, it certainly made me feel bad. And Jenny, same <laughs> question. Thanks. Hi there. I'm Jenny Mitten. I'm a director at MSC Saatchi Sport and Entertainment. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, we're all about connecting brands to consumers through their passions, whether that's sport, music, lifestyle, entertainment. Um, I lead on all things women's sport last, last outside. And you can probably tell from my voice, I was at the Lionesses game last night cheering them on for the women's Euros. So it's slightly <laughs> going, that's what eight goals will do for you. But I think, you know, we're really passionate about all things sport and I guess the, the power of sport for brands. Nice, fantastic. And last but not least, Adam, who is sat for the listeners' benefit in front of a red curtain, which does make me feel a little bit like we're in Twin Peaks. <laughs> Hi there, I'm Adam. Uh, Adam Britton, the Managing Director of Trunk BBI. We're a creative and activation agency based in the north of England. So we've got an office in Manchester, Cheshire and Leeds. So we've been working in sport now for probably about six years, specifically around sports sponsorship but also we one of our biggest clients is green king the largest um hospitality venue for sports in the uk so we can kind of come from it from both angles but we also specialize in healthcare as well so the health side of sport is something we're massively interested in as well Nice. Fantastic. Well, all of you, to some extent, mentioned brands in your introductions. And I wonder, Jenny, could we begin with you by maybe taking us through some of the uh, ongoing trends that we've seen around how brands are actually engaging in sports and particularly, in, you know, how they're marketing to sports audiences over the past couple of years? 
Yeah, I think what's really interesting is um, everyone's really glad to be back, which is no surprise. And I think we've seen that, you know, fans are coming back into their stadiums in droves. And I think that's driven a few things. One, I think, is just getting used to being back in large groups. And I think it's probably something everyone in the group we'll touch on later so we've seen a few new brands come into the sponsorship space that we've probably not seen before probably around hygiene and health I think a really good example is with Dettol with their England mm. partnership we've seen a lot of hygiene brands come into the the sports space and now when you go to Wembley you'll find Dettol sanitizers all around Wembley you'll find them at the tunnel um, and they obviously have their call to action of Dettol up support England for their fans as well so we're sort of seeing Whilst fans are flooding back, we are seeing that, you know, rights holders and the brands are supporting them on their return to sport. And it's great to see stadiums selling selling out again. And then also really interesting, there's also, and I know we'll come on to this later, um, a lot of chat around um, the metaverse. Yeah, but unfortunately you were, the first, you were the first to mention it, so you do have to buy everyone a drink. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh. um, well, startup, it doesn't exist, but metaversal activities do. And I think what's interesting is trying to find the space of this really exciting piece where, you know, we've been stuck in this digital land for two years. We've not been able to interact, but the power of digital and what you can do on digital is so exciting. So for, I think for brands, it's finding that sweet spot of enabling people to have real life experiences because we like to see people in the flesh you know, not behind a screen, yet how can we make that more magical, more interesting, enhance it through digital without taking away the magic um, that is live, which I think is a key challenge that people are trying to crack at the moment. Nice, fantastic. And, and Roger, to what extent then do we think that, as Jenny mentioned, brands interacting with sports content is predicated on those audiences, you know, desires to interact with one another, whether that be in kind of a, an, an event space or whether that's, you know, face-to-face and actually reconnecting? Yeah, I mean, the, the I think uh, Jenny's already kind of alluded to it that you know the, the last couple of years clearly with people not being able to attend uh, physical events in person. Uh, there's this been this mass sort of move to digital platforms like um, Zwift. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So the uh, sort of virtual cycling world, and over the last couple of years they've made some massive progress. Uh, the virtual Tour de France, for example. Um, Super League Triathlon have got an event now which is part physical, part virtual, which was born out of that era where they host the event at a swimming pool. They mm. then have the, the treadmill and the cycling bit powered by Zwift. And I guess the relevance to this, to the question around where brands might fit in, is obviously that creates um, opportunities for brands to get yeah, brand partnerships to evolve, I, I, I guess, in that sort of virtual world. Yeah, certainly. And, and you know, Roger, that was talking about evolving those brand partnerships. What have been some of those underlying trends that you've seen over the past couple of years? Um, I think um, COVID and crypto and changing viewership has completely Mm. changed everything in America. Um, Obviously, that's where I sit, but I watch very carefully what's happening around the world. But certainly what's happened here, a couple of big, big things have happened here. One is um, MLS has a new partnership with Apple, which is absolutely unheard of that Apple's now getting into sponsorships. They have been staunchly not involved in sponsorships for as long as I can remember since since they were first on the scene. Um, unlike Samsung, which was a, a big Olympic sponsor and still is, they, they shied away from it. And I think that comes back to understanding that they're now becoming a media channel um, not just a, a, a phone device and subscriptions are really, really important for them. Um, and I think 
the the bubble that we've seen here has been extraordinary um is crypto you know mm. you, you see it all over formula one um they took over staples arena um and the bottom has fallen out and i think we are now i mean coinbase is one of our clients um they're an mba sponsor um, and we were very excited about doing some activations around the WNBA as well as the NBA. And um, obviously, uh, that's all been screeching to a halt. And uh, we're, you know, not only is it the sponsorship investment that's at risk, but it's also the activation and the eyeballs that they bring to to the events. And I think, um, you know, we will see what happens on on that front. So lots, yeah, lots absolutely. of exciting fireworks happening. Well, we could we could talk about any one of the things you brought up there for an entire discussion, but we'll have to sort of streamline it, I think. And Adam, you, you mentioned before that you kind of come up with this from both sides of it. What have been some of those key sports marketing trends that you've seen from kind of both sides of the aisle? I always find it really interesting that I think recently it's changed massively that you've got to be more emotional as a brand um, and really try to hook into the audience to show that you care whether it's a club or whether it's a competition that you're sponsoring. I think a long time ago, you could almost, not not that you would do this, but slap a logo at the side of a football pitch and kind of that's your job done for yeah, the sponsorship. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, whereas now I think it's around, I think fans, they see through it very, very mm. quickly. Um, I think now we've got to be able to engage with them in a, on, from a rational and emotional sense and almost engage with them and bring them into the sponsorship to allow this allow the brand to almost feel part of the whether it's a football club, but feel part of the football club rather than just putting a logo on the front of a video or at the end of a video. Yeah, I think we've seen that in part by, you know, the ease with which Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney managed to sort of endear themselves to Wrexham fans by just going all in on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does help when you've got uh, access to Hollywood star (laughs) at your fingertips. (laughs) Maybe a little bit, yeah, yeah. But we've all spoken there about sponsorship and is that still going to be the primary method or one of the primary methods by which we sort of see brands really engaging is actually choosing to put their money where their mouth is and supporting the teams, the, uh, the leagues, the brands that they really, really want to associate themselves with. Um, don't know who wants to take that one. I can jump in on that one. I mean, I think we've seen coming out of COVID the power of live experiences, live events, whether that's sports, music, entertainment properties with the BAFTAs. You know, people love these areas. They're people's passions. You know, you can watch an advert, but how passionate are you going to go be about it? Where you can sit in a football ground for a team you supported for 20 years, working, you know, work doing their thing on the field. And that's what really strings your heart. And when you see, and I, you know, I think it's a really valid point around, you know, brands actually um, not just badging, but actually have a genuine role in your passion point and enhancing it, making it better, whether that's from a purpose point or just from an experience point. And I think marketers, you know, marketing directors, I think are leaning, meaning more and more into these brand partnerships, which is why we're seeing, you know, to Anne's point, the likes of Apple coming to the space, Amazon moving into the space, Spotify. These big brands that have a lot of money are now waking up to the power of sponsorship and moving into the arena. And it's going to be really exciting to see what they do next. Yeah, I think the move towards 5G is going to help with that as well, isn't it? Because people, it's a corny saying, but everyone's got a portal <laughs> to every brand in the pocket when walking into a football stadium or a sports stadium. 
And in the past, because when you're a stadium full of 40,000 people, nobody can get signal. Um, as Wi-Fi improves in stadiums and 5G improves in stadiums, we can start to see more interactive and um, engaging content that people can engage with at half time, before games, after games. Once people have kind of engaged in that way, the brand can then continue to market to them and take them through that funnel. I think it moves away from it kind of just, as I say, putting that badge on there, but actually trying to bring them through the funnel to, to purchase at the end stage as well. That's so interesting. I wonder to what extent then do we think that the the broadening of brands that are getting into sports marketing and sponsorship is actually having an impact on how fans experience that sport? You know, whether that is, you know, walking into an arena with the ability to, you know, interact directly with sponsors who are coming from vastly different verticals and sectors now. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, um, again, going back to the uh, talking about COVID, uh, sort, of, sort of the broad wellness kind of uh, theme really around not just sort of fitness, but but health as mm. well, uh, fitness, nutrition, appearance, sleep, mental health, all, all those are kind of now now at play. And I guess that opens up opportunities for a you know, broad, broader kind of uh, set of brands to get involved. Yeah, certainly. In fact, that leads very neatly onto our next question, which is, you know, to what extent is that newfound newfound focus on personal health, whether that be through, you know, personal health trackers, new tech, you know, a newfound focus on actually deploying some, say, uh, fitness products, as we've seen some UK um, publishers do. To what extent is that opening a new opportunity for brands to really get involved in marketing and around health and sport? And you you've probably seen some tangible examples of this. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's always been um i think a lot of brands use sponsorships as a means to even test products and mm. and demonstrate it's it's a it's a great way of building a case study whether it's nutrition um you know back in uh back in the day working on even things like kellogg's we we're just talking about breakfast cereal you know um i'm not sure it's the most uh <laughs> breakfast cereal you could use but Nonetheless, there's a, there's a place for it in your in your diet. So whether it's nutrition or, um, you know, I th- I think we're seeing a lot of uh, you know the fitness devices. Um, I'm I'm not sure that there's that much really exciting new coming into that space. I think it's a lot of improvement and in, uh, you know iterative improvement. I think the the platforms um, like Roger was talking about, I think are probably a, a little bit more where the innovation is happening now, but. Um, wearables, wearables seems, I mean, we, we, some of us, I certainly do remember when wearables was like, I, I didn't even know what the category meant. Yeah. And then suddenly it's pervasive and now it feels almost old school. It mm. feels like, <laughs> what do you mean? You're not, it's not a, a, a thing. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so entrenched now. So I think health and wellness is, is, uh, I think, um, the other, the other thing that I'm actually seeing here, I'm not so, so sure in the UK is, um, CBD is is kind of getting a very very much part of the landscape. Mm, we've, we've definitely uh, seen that, yeah. Yeah, so that's a that's another sort of wellness trend, probably. And I, I do wish that you know you, you're talking there about wearables becoming almost um, part and parcel of the landscape and no longer kind of an event in themselves. I wish you would tell my brother that because he insists on showing me his new wearable tech every single time I go around. Um, <laughs> Adam, then from from before we move on from the discussion around sort of health and everything, you obviously have uh, some experience directly with this. I wondered what you might think is going to be the the trends around you know wearables, health marketing. I'd say it's around togetherness. Mm. So I know it's a, a typical saying of you know we had two years on our own 
during COVID, but I think COVID out of all the, you know, bad it clearly brought, I think it actually accelerated accelerated us maybe 10 years on from where we might have been if it if it didn't happen around um technology and around people wanting even even when you're exercising it's gamifying that experience and it's actually bringing um your friends your colleagues or even people you don't know um into into your everyday personal health journey um we've seen it recently with under armor Mm. they've got a specific i think it might only be uk campaign around running and it's almost competing with personal goals or trying to do your uh, pbs against each other and again it's just all around gamification and taking what's a normal thing and trying to turn it into something that's fun um and that again i'm sure we'll come on to that one when we when we talk about the metaverse but again that's why it's so popular within within that space as well yeah, certainly. And actually, you've predicate, you've preempted my next question, rather, which is to what extent, then, or rather, which brands do we all think is actually are actually interacting with sports audiences in a way that does feel really authentic and actually does enhance the experience they have while engaging with health or sport? Roger, is there anybody who you think is doing that especially well at the moment who whose approach should be kind of lauded or emulated? In terms of brands, um, can't think any brands off the top of my head, but I do know that um, you may have heard of Whoop. Um, so, oh, is a- yes, I have actually. Sorry, yeah, I, th- I just heard it as a sound and enjoyed it. But then, I, yeah, no, I, yeah, I have heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you think about it, we've got we've got the sort of established brands like um, Strava and kind of bringing wearables in and tracking the fitness that we're doing. Whoop have kind of turned it on its head and said, well, in order to do fitness well, what other stuff needs to be right to support that? So, I talked uh, previously about sleep and nutrition. And, and tracking kind of core vitals that are indicators of your health, what they've really majored on and are doing really well, it's probably one of the fastest growing sport tech products at the moment, is f- focusing on all those things that need to be true to enable you to be um, you know, the best version of yourself from a fitness point of view. Yeah, certainly. And I've just remembered that it's actually Whoop that my brother showed me last time I was around. So thank you very much. <laughs> You've completely undercut me sort of using this podcast to dissuade him from it. Jenny, who, which brands do you think then are doing, uh, are appealing to the audience in a really innovative way, potentially? Well, I did have um, Whoop as an example. Roger, <laughs> thank you for bringing them up. They're actually a client of ours, so it's lovely oh, to nice. hear that. And I think what's interesting is this consumer trend of, I guess people just want to do more than just track calories these days. And they like to emulate their, their heroes, their sporting stars, because you know there's lots of competitions now where you see everyday Joe about to really stretch themselves and perform at a really high level, whether it's ultra marathons, you know, and everyday consumers like, I want to have a go at that. How does Jonathan Joseph do that? Oh, he wears a whoop. Let's see if that's going to help me. So that's a really interesting trend. And they've had lots of deals with various athletes in different sports where, you know, consumers follow their progress and they want, they want to have a piece of that too. So that's really interesting. Um, I think as well from taking a a look at the tech side, but then also I think um, if we go back to Adam's point around adding value, I think O2 is a really good example with England Rugby. I mean, it's a long-term sponsorship, so we're 20 years plus. They've, you know, they created a movement around support for the England Rugby team with Wear the Rose. So, you know, it's this experience that galvanizes support and around it every year they have different tech activations, whether they created the first VR, um, CGI, um, rugby game experience, which, you know, gaming, rugby games are kind of far and few between and they did that quite a number of years ago before even anyone mentioned the dreaded (laughs) m-word 
But then on the flip side, they're also growing the sport. So they, I don't know if anyone saw last year, they actually committed to parity spend across the men's and women's teams. I'd like to see more brands, more brand sponsors do this. So for every penny they spend on the men's, they will spend the same on the women's. And that should, that's how it should be across every sport because you can't argue that men and women aren't equal. And I think what's really exciting is we've obviously got a World Cup coming and then in 25, a home World Cup. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where O2 take that positioning and what they do for the women's game. So it's nice. They've done a piece around creating adding to the excitement of rugby but then also helping to grow the sport which i think is a really good brand a good balance for a brand yeah certainly i mean some fantastic fantastic examples there and some fantastic upcoming opportunities as you mentioned but and before we move on i wondered from a u.s perspective which brands other than the ones you've already mentioned are the ones who are really engaging with sport and as uh, adam mentioned actually adding value to the uh, to the value exchange I'm seeing sort of, um, unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of the same kinds of brands still mm. investing. You know, the Endemics, the Nikes, the Adidas's, obviously those, you know, it's where their bread and butter is. I think there's an interesting sort of, um, there's an interesting backslide happening right now where Pepsi has given up their halftime game at the Super Bowl and Budweiser has given up its exclusive rights of the Super Bowl, mm. which makes me wonder, you know, what what is what is the shift happening? And I think the shift happening is is different eyeballs, different viewership. Um, and one of the the trends that we're we're sort of keeping a, a close eye on is is how Gen Z here over COVID have sort of become a little bit uh, less engaged with sports mm. or organized sports, formal sports. They're, they've picked up on Formula One like nobody's business because of Drive to Survive has absolutely, absolutely captured the hearts and minds of an entire generation. Um, but it feels like they're sort of pulling away from organized team sports. And I think that for brands, when you think about all the brands that are trying to engage with Gen Z, the fact that they're pulling away they to um you know to the discussion was just happening it's like they really have to lean in and and add value um brands like mountain dew and their nba sponsorship they really have to think about what they're adding value um to the fan experience to get them back engaged because they haven't been going to the arenas you know if you're 15 16 17 and for the last two years you haven't been buying a ticket or going to the game with your mom or dad or whatever you've lost that that uh, that moment where the association is really built. I was going to ask a question there, um, and you mentioned um, around Drive to Survive, and it's yeah. a really good point. I was at Silverstone at the weekend to to watch the British Grand Prix, and I'd say that documentary was mentioned every five minutes by the, <laughs> by the hosts. So yeah. you can imagine that probably 40, 40 to 60% of people that were there were probably because of that documentary. Would you see, or just, I suppose, if it's okay to ask any, anyone this question other sports trying to make documentaries around the sport in that way so whether it's snooker or darts or badminton or netball whether they're going to look to kind of bring out documentaries whether it's with amazon or netflix to try and promote the sport as a as a whole i think they i think they will um i think it's actually um been such a surprise and delight and i think for, for the sport for formula one um because the, the the challenge that they have is convincing the owners and the teams to open up and be vulnerable and be honest and be accessible 
Um, and so it's a real play of trust. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. salacious content always sells and attracts eyeballs, but the the league is not going to allow salacious content to be out there. So it's this kind of threading the needle. Um, and I think that that's the, that's the magic of it. It's like just, just right down the middle there. And I think if, if, um, if, others are going to be successful. They have to come to terms with that, that level of trust between the production team and opening up to sometimes the dirty little secrets that are kind of happening in, you know, the, in the background. And that's what people want to see, right? They want to see what they can't see during the broadcast. It's, it's got all, to feel raw, hasn't it? It's got to feel yeah, raw. It's a, peak, it's a peak behind the curtain. And I think that mm-hmm. Companies that are not willing to, or or leagues, sports entities that are not willing to do that are not going to have the success. Well, then that's just throwing up another question that I'd be really interested to get your takes on is to what extent then is sports marketing still predicated on those individual stories of sporting heroes? My mind turned straight away to the uh, the, the sub two marathon project and Nike's massive involvement in that. And as a a marathon runner, I feel like I've been along for the journey. I've I've bought the original shoe. And then subsequently bought all the various iterations of the shoe as it's evolved. And that story has been told. Interestingly, you may not know, but uh, triathlon uh, Chris McCormack's uh, group have done a similar thing with their sub seven, sub eight project. Mm. So getting a man to go sub seven and a female to go sub eight for the Ironman triathlon. Um, That was absolutely compelling viewing. It was, it wasn't broadcast, but it was broadcast over the internet. Um, Again, in terms of brands that got involved, um, Zwift was one of their key partners. And the whole point of that and the relevance to this question was it followed the story of those athletes preparing for a full year for that one day when they went for this attempt. And then you could experience the attempt live, as I said. And it was probably the most compelling thing. And then that's actually leading very neatly on to, I suppose, one of our um, final topics of the discussion today, because I do want to keep in as much of this as I possibly can, uh, which is around, you know, getting people, getting people involved back in sports. We spoke about the kind of the lack thereof around COVID, but Anne was talking about, you know, getting people in who otherwise might have been left behind by the drive to join sport. And with the metaverse, sorry to, to steal your thunder with that, Jenny, but we were talking about uh, Wimble World on drum the other day, which is an attempt to get under 18s invested in kind of the Wimbledon tournament and tennis more generally. And that's taking place on Roblox. So um, Adam, where do you think the big opportunity around the metaverse or, you know, Jenny will say there is, there isn't one. I agree with her, but yeah. Where do you think that the, for ease of uh, discussion, where do you think the opportunity for brands in the metaverse is around sport? So I think it's a huge opportunity um, because the generation that's coming through expects an experience that they can uh, almost feel and and feel immersed within it. So I think if sports brands and any brand isn't embracing the technology now, it's the way I see it is it's almost the uh, the PR agency sitting there in 2002 saying that social media won't be here in five years' time. If we don't adapt to it very quickly, we're going to get left behind. We're right at the start of that wave. If the people who are adapting to it quickly now in five to 10 years time are going to feel the benefits even more so than the people who will eventually come around to it in time. Um, the way that they can engage with it, I believe is, is through platforms like Sandbox and Roblox, as, as you've already mentioned, uh, being within those spaces, we've seen Nike do it recently. Um, and as you say, with the, with the recent Wimbledon one as well, 
um, being within the, the native spaces that mm. the audience is already living in, rather than trying to create different environments or try to create games that you can download. I think at the moment, the the audience is probably a little too immature for that. Um, but there's such massive opportunity within already native spaces within the, the, the metaverse. So I don't see there being a massive problem with that at the moment. Um, the big thing for me from an agency perspective and how agencies can almost gain from this is actually by working with brands and creating content or creating assets through the brand and doing it on a profit share basis. That's the way I see the future. So could be able to create those assets and putting them to within the metaverse for people to purchase. And then the agency can make a, a profit share mm. um, from that is where I see it probably going in the next two to three years. That's really, really interesting. And Jenny, before we sort of get into why you think, in fact, no, let's get into it right now. What is your sort of aversion <laughs> to talking about the metaverse as a term when we talk about uh, marketing in general, let alone sports marketing? Oh, I'm definitely not against Metaverse. And when the day it arrives, it's going to be super exciting. I mean, who creates it terrifies me slightly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, but what, you know, I think to Adam's point, metaverse activities are really key for brands. If we're looking to engage that sort of Gen Z audience, um, you know, we need to be showing up where they are. I had my goddaughters over a few weeks ago who are 11 and 9, and they were off to go and chat to their friends. I was like, oh, here's me picking up the phone. I'm such a granny. <laughs> and they're like, no, um, Jen, we're <laughs> in roadblocks, you know, and I think that Nightland example is a, a great proof point. Those those audiences may have disengaged with Nike. Suddenly, they're turning up in their space in a way that's different and engaging and relevant. I think that's really key. Is not just showing up in these spaces for showing up. I think I've, I've seen some finance brands like J.P. Morgan show up in some of these games, which slightly confuses me in their um, for their role. But if you show up in the space in a genuine way and add value to it, so whether you're creating a new social experience is where people maybe put the controller down, watch a music experience experience, get involved with something else, or you enhance their game like Nike did. So in Roblox, you can deck yourself out in the latest Nike gear, which for every teenager is the dream. Um, you know, that's, I think it's a credibility in doing it in the right way. And I definitely am not anti-metaverse. I just think there are some rogue agencies out there with <laughs> metaverse chief operating officers, and they're just selling something that doesn't exist, but metaversal activities do. And we're heading in that direction. It's good. We'll get there one day. I think we just need to be honest and not be afraid to say, I've created an amazing social experience in gaming because gaming is fantastic and gaming is where Gen Z are. Perfect. I'm, I'm stealing that as the uh, as the quote for the uh, that's going to open the episode. But Roger, you saw you I saw you smiling and nodding along there. That's presumably got, something yeah. you've got experience of. I've got I've got a completely different angle. Um, everything everyone says, uh, you know, just building on that really. So I'm I'm all about um, testing and learning, and I think there's a huge opportunity uh, with product in particular. Um, to, use, to use the metaverse as a relatively kind of uh, cheap environment to actually test what works with people, um, test what resonates, test what uh, people kind of go for. Obviously, you, uh, uh, there's various examples of brands like Diesel kind of mm. launching sneakers into the, the metaverse and then, you know, selling, selling NFTs. But it's from an R&D point of view and a market re research perspective, it's just another way brands... Um, can tap into creating audience insight. So I think that's quite interesting from you know my perspective. Yeah, I think there's a lot happening in the metaverse that's, that's both terrifying and exciting. I would say exciting and terrifying. Um, I think from a commerce standpoint, what one of the things that, that COVID did was actually force companies to do a lot of testing of um, 
experiences in the metaverse because they couldn't do it in any other way. So I'm not sure how huge it is in the UK, but Complex did ComplexCon on the metaverse. Um, and essentially it's a it's kind of a uh, a cultural um, magazine um, plus all kinds of experiences, music, fashion, streetwear, et cetera, et cetera. And they they have complex con every year and it's usually physical. And it's where quite a number of brands like uh, Nike Streetwear will will drop mm. certain new products and so on. And so it's it was great for them to be able to do that and try it in the metaverse. And it actually worked really, really well. And, it, and what it did do was democratize access to ComplexCon. Mm. It, you know, it attracted audiences from all over the world. Um, and so the accessibility becomes exponentially much larger. Um, but there's, you know, the... The challenge is it still feels very test and learning. It still feels like it's um, people are just just trying it on for size. I mean, we we did a uh, we did a program for celebrate. We did all the the campaign work for the NBA's seventy fifth anniversary, um, and the the kind of the anchor idea was NBA Lane. So all the stars of the past and future living on this lane on NBA Lane and you know, beautiful films. And, and it was, it was a fantastic campaign, but we took NBA lane and put it on the metaverse. Mm. Now it was huge. I don't think so, but it was a great way for us, as Roger was saying, to just kind of see, see how it works. Um, the NBA is very active with NFTs and, um, you know, Dapper Labs and Top Shot and so on. So they're very, very, very bullish on, on, you know, metaverse and, and tech. Um, so I think, we we need to be right alongside our clients. Um, Roger, yeah, just coming in on on, on sort of mixed reality stuff. Um, you may have heard that it was a couple of years ago, but Lululemon uh, bought Mirror. So Mirror, I thought it was a beautiful concept. You've got this mirror on the wall, and it is your your virtual exercise partner. You can have a virtual. Uh, personal trainer on the wall guiding you through you know exercises whether it be you know dumbbell exercises or just kind of on the spot kind of stuff but that's a really interesting partnership and i i understand in the last two years that they've really integrated their aesthetic and their kind of brand values into the mirror product so the two are quite harmonious together but that's a really great use case right that's kind of you know, it's always been really clunky to kind of be there with a mobile phone, trying yeah. to kind of follow the exercises. And they've really made, the, uh, it's a really great example of how you can use technology to really make it feel natural. Yeah, certainly. And I think it's a really good example of what I was talking about in, in terms of that test and learn approach to it. Because I think you'd be you'd be mad to say that Metaverse has reached its kind of final form for any form of marketing, let alone sports where it is such a, I suppose, a a leap to make from kind of the real world experience of, of watching sport to into that kind of virtual world where you're approximating it. Um, with a lot of the same benefits, community, you know, some of the uh, the, the excitement that goes with it as well. But yeah, it's a, it's a way off, yeah. And listen, we could have spoken about any one of those questions for hours, and I'm sure that we'll, we'll have to get you all back to discuss that in much greater length in the near future but for now thank you so much to my guests for taking part in this as a final question i'd like to go around and ask them um if anybody wants to get in contact about anything you've mentioned any of your own work or you know even just to bend your ear on any of the topics we discussed where's the best place from the touchy reach you adam so our website is trunkbbi.com you can find us on instagram at trunkbbi perfect and jenny 
Um, find MNC Saatchi Sport and Entertainment on Twitter and also come and argue with me about the <laughs> and sporting results um, with on Twitter. I'm Jenny in Toots. People are going to absolutely take you up on that. If if my inbox about the metaverse is anything to go by, you are going to get a deluge of emails there. And Roger, like, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me via icrossing.co.uk. Probably best uh, to personally find me on LinkedIn if you search for just Roger Barr. Uh, or you can follow me on Strava. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, any followers gratefully received. I'm pass. I'm pass that one. And finally, Anne, where can people uh, where can people find you? Um, I too am very active on LinkedIn. Very easy to find Anne Wool um, at, uh, at my own handle, but we're also obviously we have our uh, website translationllc.com and um, feel free to reach out. Love to hear from people. Perfect. But thank you so much, uh, Adam, Jenny, Roger and Anne for taking the time to have this discussion with us. Like I said, we could have spoken about that for hours and I'm sure that we will. But for now, thank you so much. And thanks to all the listeners as well. Please do go to thedrum.com where we're going to be doing our sports deep dive all this week. And beyond that, we're going to be talking about sports, sports marketing, entertainment and everything to do around advertising and brand interaction with entertainment properties in the very near future. But for now, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.